today we're going to be talking about how systems change happens over time and how it's actually just a culmination of micro progressions and behaviors over time. And today I have a wonderful guest, uh, Dr. Jacqueline Kerr. She is a behavioral scientist and I am definitely excited to, to nerd out with you, Jacqueline, uh, because our work intersects, especially when it comes to culture change. And you have a really unique perspective on the intersection of behavior change. So I'll bounce it to you to give a little bit of background. Tell us your story, who you are, what you do, and what impact you're looking to make on the world. Thank you so much for having me today. And I've been so looking forward to this conversation. And I think it was so important when I um, started to see that in your work, how you really see that work intersects with the broader society <clears throat> and has a role in 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 broader society um because i think we spend so much time at work and also the things that maybe we the way we come to work um mm. and and show up at work it is because of the things that have been happening to us outside of work and to be honest outside of work there are some major inequalities that um, then we bring to work and, and workplaces have an opportunity to change that. And that's something that in, in my area of science, we learned a lot about um, from the childhood obesity epidemic. We used to blame the kids for coming to school unprepared, not slept, not well rested, not, not nutritious. We used to blame the parents. And then suddenly the, the schools went actually we have a role. These kids spend hours at our schools and we can help them in a way that they don't have those opportunities equally outside of school. But in school, you know, every child that attends then has this opportunity. Um, so when they really took that responsibility for health and social disparities, it, it changed things. Um, so I hope that workplaces also move in that direction as well. They've got such an important role to play. And, and obviously with the COVID um, pandemic, you know, work and life collided in a way that we had never experienced before. So I'm excited for the work you do and this opportunity in time. Um, and, you know, my background is, is all about um, behavior science. But as I say, you know, um, in relation to things that are epidemics that are, that are affecting so many people, which means we have to pay attention to multiple levels of how so many things it's not just you as an individual but it is your your family your um friends your workplace your institutions government education um and then society as as a whole the social norms these these all impact us but likewise we can impact them with our behaviors so that's why i think mm. it's so great because it is bi-directional and in terms of impact on the world I always just wanted to change the world since I was quite young. And, and I think that's partly why I went into um, behavior change um, really was to learn less about, um, you know, how do I as an individual like change and save the world, but much more, how do I um, help others? How do I empower others to advocate for resources um, and to become leaders? Because in every situation that, that I've been in, in, in a community engagement role, you know, I, I'm not the person that can best make the change. It's really the, the individuals and the leaders from those communities. So it's really about um, giving them um, some more tools to, to then 
lead change in those communities. Um, so really, that's that's the impact I, I want to have. And, you know, I've learned from my own journey, um, as, as you mentioned beforehand, you know, I've experienced um, burnout myself and a career change myself as a working mom, the struggles of, of managing a career and, and managing a family. And so um, usually these things come to me as well from just not wanting other people to, to struggle um, against things that we can change. Yeah. Yeah. And what I'm hearing from you is that, and I, I agree, um, and this is a core issue, I think, with many of the um, system-wide change that we're looking to make um, in our society, uh, and that is that we put a lot of onus on the individual. Um, and oftentimes we don't look at the system that is causing that behavior. And that's why I opened up with this intersection between systems theory and individual behavior. And I'm just really fascinated to hear more from you because, you know, the audience um, who is listening may have different varying levels of experience with systems theory or behavior change. Um, tell us a little bit about how those two interact at a basic level. Right, right. And so, as I mentioned, you can think about yourself as an individual and the things you bring. Um, we all have personality tendencies, I call them, rather than traits, because these are things that we can adjust um, as, mm -hmm. as needed. And there are usually upsides to lots of our personality traits. You know, being ambitious is a good thing, and then it can lead into overwork. So the same, being a people pleaser can mean you're very caring, but if you constantly put other people's needs first, so it, you know, there's, there's always these two sides and then it depends in what environment you're working in. Um, and it depends with the family members you have around you, their commitments, their needs. Um, and then, as I said, it, it fits into workplace. So you have all these, these different levels and often what happens is, um, there's a couple of sort of really sort of basic tenants that that people believe that that I think are really myths <laughs> so mm. so the first is and and it kind of comes from the serenity prayer about controlling what is within your control mm. and that makes sense to a certain extent but yet we we do influence other people all the time there are things that that are beyond our control that we we can change and when you put it on this onus of only work on yourself because that's the only thing you can control. It's very limiting. And, and also in, in my mind, it's not true because all our behaviors can impact other people in the same way that other people's behaviors are impacting us. We, we do impact other people so we can make choices about those behaviors. And again, whether we do them out loud. So for example, people talk about quiet quitting. And I totally understand that because in some workplaces, it's not safe to move put limits on your time. So you do it quietly. But as a leader, you could do the same thing out loud and be a role model. And that's what's so important in that sort of situation. The same behaviors from a different angle from someone with a different sort of position in an organizational structure. So I think that's, that's really important to um, understand that we have um, 
you know, that our behaviors have so much more power and we do have more power than what's within our individual control. So I like to step outside of that. Mm -hmm. And actually recently in this book I read, When Women Lead, um, the author, Julia Borston, um, found that she appreciated understanding that because instead of sort of saying there are barriers around us that we can do nothing about. Once you start to go, there are barriers around us that I recognize and I have to somehow overcome, then, then, you know, this is, that's power, right? To mm -hmm. say, I actually can see them. And that's part of the problem. Some of these are quite invisible in a certain way because they're baked into the water we swim in every mm -hmm. day at work and we don't recognize them. Um, and so then, um, I, I think the other thing that's a kind of a myth is that um, behavior change is based on willpower <laughs> and that's all we need. Mm -hmm. Just, I need more willpower. I need to control my eating more or, mm -hmm. you know, it's about this sort of control and willpower. And again, that's, that, that's a myth. Um, we need so much support to change our behaviors. Um, not only do we, we really need to understand what are the behaviors that can be most impactful, and sometimes we, we get those completely wrong, but we have to have um, people who are accountability partners, who are support partners for us. We have to have tools that help us keep this top of mind and, and keep reminding us. Um, we, we all need rewards, and so many people are like, oh, well, you have to have the intrinsic world, do this for the moral good. <laughs> We're really, really motivated by external rewards. And particularly in workplaces, that is what is rewarded in the workplace. And um, recently with um, McKinsey and Lean In, one of the reports around the, the great breakup, which is about senior women leaving workplaces. And you look at the evaluation criteria and basically less than 50%, almost down to like 20%, people are being evaluated on um, career development, on the team morale, on retention, on DEI. We're not being rewarded for working on these really important topics. And so um, it, it, it makes sense also to me that, yes, what's not rewarded is, not, is what's not going to turn up. Um, so we have to really recognize that we need to positive reinforcement and, and rewards and incentives. And, and these are driven by corporate values. Um, so I think that's the thing. Behavior change it is needs a lot more support than we realize. Um, when it's positioned within a framework of what is a... Um, logical sort of psychological process, then again, we sometimes think, well, you do this now and it's not going to have an impact till later. But if you know that those behaviors are actually crucial to these later processes, you can just focus on the behaviors and you can, you can change those very quickly and you can see them, as I say, when they're done out loud, very quickly. So you can know you're having impact straight away. Of course, trying to sustain them for long enough, mm -hmm. that's definitely a whole next challenge. Um, but I think that's what's so positive about behaviors is, is we can make really um, small um, out loud behaviors that are impactful at all those levels. Yeah, no, I love, I love your term uh, out loud because it, it really paints the picture of, I think, what happens with culture, uh, which is like you have the out loud behaviors and then you have the unsaid 
behaviors, right? The things that you just, like you said, you're swimming in the water and there's always the analogy, which I'm sure you're familiar with is, you know, a, wa- a fish doesn't know it's in water, right? <laughs> Until it's out of the water. Um, and so we are just fish in a big body of water and there are things that come really natural to us. And usually these are things that come from society or from culture or tradition. These are things that just are. Um, they just, they're, they're a part of us and we don't assume anything else. Uh, and the same thing happens within the lowercase culture within an organization. Um, and this is human, this is human uh, behavior. <laughs> you know, we are, um, from an anthological perspective, we're tribal beings. Uh, we love traditions, we love rituals. And the same thing happens within organizations. So I think we have to acknowledge that. And especially as leaders, you know, what are the things? And, and one of the questions that I asked during um, our um, culture assessment process, especially with new hires, we ask them, what are some of the unsaid things that you kind of walked into starting at this organization? Um, or what are some things that just were happening and the words didn't match the actions because those, those things happen all the time within organizations. And so if you want to create change, you have to have some awareness around what those things are. And if you want to make a change, I think role modeling is another brilliant point that you brought up, which is we can't ask everyone else to change if we as leaders are not role modeling the path and doing things out loud explicitly to change. And that takes right. quite a bit of um, quite a bit of self-reflection, I think, from a leadership journey perspective. Right. Yes, it, it, it does in some ways. Um, but also, I think it's really thinking about what are the conditions um, that make change happen. And, and again, those conditions are also the same conditions that, that make it safe for employees of all identities. So for example, um, psychological safety um, and emotional intelligence, and to be honest, well-being. Because again, if you're expecting people to change and they're already stressed out and to the limit and they're overworked, then anything you try to do that's that's new or, or different is going to be met with exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if not, then in some cases, cynicism, if, if previously it had been sort of a branding exercise instead of a, a real change. But it has to feel safe for people to change. Because I think the biggest part about change is a willingness to make mistakes because the process of changing is the process of finding out what works for whom, when, where, in what situation. And that's what's so important in organizations is that you actually have a process of, of learning what works in which situation. This particular tool and way of doing things, um, say particular bias interruption techniques may work in one unit of your organization, but may not transfer to another. So again, it's finding out what, what are the really core things that do um, spread across the organization, but what are the adaptations that you have to make along the way or over time, because time changes things like context and changes all the time. And then you have a, a new influx of employees with different values. So, so everything's shifting. So I think that's the biggest thing is to understand how dynamic change is um, and to understand that it is really that process of experimenting to learn um, and, and, and grow. And again, 
ability to make mistakes and growth mindset, those are all psychological um, safety and, and, and emotional intelligence. So those to me are like kind of the, the base conditions. So there can be some situations where there are core skills one might need to learn first before that can even happen. Um, that, that can be in terms of conflict resolution or active listening or empowering listening. There, that there are, there are some sort of base skills. And I think that's what other people also don't realize. Like this is not willpower. This is skills that we need to have, that we need to practice to then even get the conditions right for change to happen. Mm. So again, when we get stuck in this sense of awareness, that, that awareness is what we need. Yes, we, 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 we kind of need to know where we're starting and where we're going, but that process of, of just getting stuck in the awareness stage and not actually moving into that action stage. And so this is kind of the, even as one becomes aware and you want to change something, that's then your intention. And that gap between intention and, and action, the actual behavior, um, you know, 20 years ago in our behavior change models, there used to just be an arrow between those two. And then suddenly you go, oh, actually, that's the Grand Canyon. That's huge. Right. That gap can be 10 years before you actually decide to act on your good intentions. So it's actually a, a different process that has to happen, which is that process of, of actually developing the key skills that one needs, having opportunities to practice. And again, not in isolation. That's why if we do our behavior change in isolation, we don't get the opportunity, one, to um, learn to practice in the context with which you're actually going to apply the behavior, but also to get the positive feedback when you're doing it well, which again is that reinforcement. So it's not just that um change in in isolation is just one person versus multiple people trying to change together it's not just the numbers of people that make a difference but actually back to your sort of um anthropological roots which is the best way we learn is social learning mm -hmm. that is the strongest way we can we can learn because we have people we can imitate we have role models to learn from we have enforcement and and you know, adjustments, feedback from those around us. And, and the group process itself um, has a power that, that um, is so important to particularly as we go back to thinking about like shared decision-making. I, I found it really helpful um, uh, when I interviewed uh, Rashika Tolshayan and she was explaining, it's not about being invited to the party. It's that you actually planned the party. You were the one that decided on, you know, the choice of music and food and and, and activities. And so that shared decision-making um, is such an important part of um, diversity, equity, inclusion, but also innovation. Mm. Um, and so um, I think that's the process where if we can actually be, be comfortable making our mistakes and, and growing and, and, and sort of embracing that experimental mindset and saying, okay, what have we learned from this situation, what have we learned from the unit over here? What can we conclude? And really being, um, you know, very thoughtful about those those learning cycles, very intentional about them. Mm. What do you think is the gap that organizations, what's causing that Grand Canyon gap between intention and action? <laughs> She's smiling for those of you who yeah. <laughs> can't see. <laughs> Yeah. Why are we stuck in the status quo? Yes. Yeah. It's comfortable, mm. right? 
it's comfortable. Change, change definitely is is uncomfortable, um, and and it's and it's complicated because there isn't a silver bullet or one size fits all. Again, that's why change is the process of of learning what these adaptations are, um, and that can be overwhelming. Change can be absolutely overwhelming, especially if you're already in burnout or if you spend a lot of time really believing you're doing your best already in terms of there's um, several reports come out from Deloitte, Microsoft and others showing this disconnect between what CEOs are offering as caring and what employees are receiving as, as caring and all these sort of perks and mental health benefits. That's not what employees want. They want organizational change. So, um, you know, th there's this sort of frustration of feeling like you're doing everything you can possibly do and it not being well received um, and not working and being a waste of time and money. So then that generates fear and scarcity in itself. And then to me, really, the, the two biggest things are the one believing that it stops with self-awareness mm. um, and two, that it is based on individual change. And I think when you are stuck in those two mindsets of individual control and willpower, and um, then you don't, as I say, you don't have um, the safety or, or the courage to make mistakes and learn in front of others that, that creates that whole growth mindset. Um, and you really, you know, do, do get stuck um be, because then change it's not collective change right that's there's a there's a fantastic quote, quote about that change isn't worth anything if it's not collective mm. um and so um that that's really where we need to move is to be able to um be making changes as as groups um and as i say role models are, are are so important in that because again it gives us the confidence to see somebody else doing it um also they then do the behaviors that we want to also do because sometimes there is that situation of people saying i just don't know what to do and i still find that frustrating because there are so many good playbooks out there there's so many good um models and 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 really specific advice about what to do um and so again i think some people do start and then get stuck and so um you know i have a guide um uh, on my website that really goes through you know did you set up the conditions for change did you get input from the people who are affected by this change um are you celebrating change along the way um did you even communicate your vision for this change um from the beginning and this is part of the problem is is again People can obstruct change um, and, and potentially from a good place, which is, you know, um, this, you know, you, you didn't get my input. This isn't going to work. Um, or, um, you know, again, you, you, you've made these false branding promises before. I'm not going to I'm not going to play into that game anymore. I want to see real change. Um, and so, yeah, that that process of of having um you know a much clearer vision with much clearer um rewarded steps along the way um is so important and again i think it does come back to us thinking about sort of rewards we can incentivize mm -hmm. absolutely incentivize people to change up front we say these are the things we're going to reward this is what we want you to to do um 
And so I think those incentives aren't there. And, and to be honest, the investment is, is not there. No. Um, and that's, that's again, back to choices, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's back to your point about, you know, all these, uh, I don't know, programs that, um, employers are kind of throwing at the wall to see what sticks. Um, it's not enough. It's not enough because, um, you know, and, and then to come back and say, well, people aren't, we've done everything around wellness and nobody's taking advantage of it. Right. And that's mainly because the, the system, the reinforcement, you know, when you build a house, it needs to be reinforced. Right. You just don't lay the foundation and then leave uh, to create um, the, the, the structure of the house. You have to create beams and pillars and make sure it's reinforced so that it doesn't fall on your head. <laughs> um, same thing with systems work. We have to have those systems in place. We have to be intentional about those things. Um, and to, and to your point back about around self, um, self-driven, uh, you know, will and cha- change around it. I, I, I kind of have a, I mean, maybe this is a taboo way to say this, but, um, I think we have less self-control around our behaviors than we think. Um, there are so many factors that drive the way we behave and it's, it's all a ripple effect. You know, it's, um, you know, the way we were raised, our background, uh, it is also, you know, the fact that we're mimetic beings and we, we actually, our, our desires and how we, um, interact with others can be influenced. It's the systems that are around us. It's the way our community behaves or what's considered appropriate or not. So a lot of our behaviors are kind of, uh, you know, um, shaped for us in a way. And that's because we are social learning beings. We're not meant to be just individuals, uh, you know, navigating the world by ourselves. Um, you know, there's, there's a human, I think, instinctual element to that, that, in, that makes the development of systems and um, kind of taking the best of the human experience to change behavior. Uh, versus just throwing something at a wall and saying, oh, hope that works. <laughs> right, right. And, and I understand throwing those Band-Aids or, you know, mm-hmm. putting Band-Aids and throwing. It's, it feels like whack-a-mole, you know, because each new problem that comes up and you're just trying to, you know, respond in, in the moment. Mm-hmm. But I also think that that is also part of our culture, this sort of respond instant gratification, not long-term intention. And I think that's some of the frameworks that we can think about, about, being able to see the forest and the trees, right? Being actually seeing the big picture and the long-term impacts rather than um, thinking about um, putting out forest fires right now, it's about preventing the forest fires. Mm. Um, and so I think that mindset, it, it isn't, you know, again, I, I've seen it from public health too. We we are much more in the the medical treatment, put out the fire, the gratification and 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 sort of yeah. hero <laughs> mindset that comes from that versus, you know, this long-term prevention approach. And again, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, an, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Mm-hmm. It really is um, so much more impactful for for so many more people. So, so I think that sort of mindset um, it isn't necessarily um, present in, I think, cultures where 
the individual is celebrated as being um empowered and and so i agree i think a lot of people in the us they 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 really don't like it when you say actually you don't have as much control as you think because such a basis of the culture here is a, you know individual control and and an individual empowerment um and what's so interesting about that from the perspective of parental burnout so um i had interviewed isabel roskam who has done um studies across 52 different countries around the world for parental burnout and basically parental burnout is higher in countries where there is a culture of an individual focus mm -hmm. because you basically feel like I can't ask for help. It's weak to ask for help. You know, this is not what I'm supposed to do. I'm a bad parent if I need help. Um, and so that's such, to me, that's such a, a, a tragedy because actually, you know, the first step in developing resilience and strength is asking for help. Um, so I, I think we are, we're, um, we're not helping ourselves with that individual mindset. And, and also it's just so not true. I mean, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Some people don't have boots, let alone bootstraps to pull themselves up with. So it, it's not like it's, we're on an equal playing field, um, at any level. And, you know, there's just new reports coming out yesterday. I think Oxfam was saying, you know, that the, the um, poverty is, is increasing, the, mm. the disparities are, are widening. And some of that has been due to COVID as well, that, that some of these disparities were exacerbated. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in some ways it's like we, we still have so much to do. And so it does, I, I totally get that feeling of overwhelm when you look and think, well, we have to change the whole world and how do we do that? <laughs> And so there was one um, podcast that I really appreciated where um, they talked about it being a wall. And basically, you know, when you feel that sense of overwhelm, just focus on the brick in front of you and, and working away at that brick to dismantle this wall mm -hmm. and knowing that there is somebody next to you also dismantling a brick. So I think, mm -hmm. again, it, it's okay sometimes that we do have to you know, bring our brains back to saying, this is doable, this is achievable. If I just keep doing this one thing in front of me, I am making a difference and, and you are. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also then taking the time once that sort of um, amygdala is nice and calm to go, okay, actually, you know, how, how about we, we work on this together? Um, we're going to dismantle this wall um, more quickly and more fairly. And I think that's that thing about intention that you mm -hmm. mentioned. Um, so in this book, um, how the future works, it was all about how we can create, um, hybrid and remote workplaces, but that they're intentional. So for example, we went into remote and hybrid due to COVID and it wasn't intentional. And then of course we do have these consequences, which is proximity bias, right? That there, there are always potential negative consequences of what we do mm. unless we're very intentional about saying those things are going to happen you know these biases are so and these stereotypes are so part of the water we swim in that we that they are going to propagate you know you move from the head office on on um you know fifth avenue to a head office on remote mm -hmm. the the same um you know stereotypes come with you unless you create them 
um, to be very intentional, to really have agreements around um, how you contribute to meetings and, and um, having limits on those meetings and actually creating a place that everybody benefits from from the first start. And I suppose that's what's a little frustrating for me when we are creating, I, I understand with COVID, we, we were just like responding. Mm -hmm. But when we have the opportunity to create new systems, yeah. like let's create them from the start mm -hmm. um, intentionally to work for everybody. Because again, the systems we have in place were never created to with yes. intention to work for everybody. But we can create different systems now with with that intention. Mm. Um, and I think that's part of this. Uh, I, I don't know what you think about this because it is it's it's, you know, some theories of systems change are basically saying you have to just create an alternative system because you can't necessarily fix the, the, the original system. So, yeah, what what's your perspective from that? Because, again, I see people leaving corporate America mm -hmm. and I understand why. But then it worries me. OK, the system itself won't change. So what's your thoughts about like within system change versus creating a, an alternative system that has a different foundation. Yeah. I mean, I love you're talking about kind of equitable system design and, you know, when we talk about equity, we're talking about equal outcomes. Um, we're not talking about equal kind of spreading the peanut butter, same, same, same um, structure for everybody necessarily. It's how do you create equitable systems that benefit everybody? Uh, I am one who loves to break shit. So <laughs> I, I might, I might lean on the fact that like, we just have to like tear the whole thing down and rebuild, but I don't think that's always necessary. I think to your point, if we can start to deconstruct with those bricks that you were talking about, I think it just depends on the outcome and how big the, the system is disconnected from the system we need to build. And, you know, the workplace, I think, was one of those big systems that needed to be rebuilt that was, you know, built in an age of inequality and equity, you know, widgets and factories and the Industrial Revolution. And we're still using the same paradigms that were established. Um, so I guess my answer is both and, but I do lean towards breaking stuff. Uh, and I think we need to do that. We have to just completely deconstruct our thinking, our paradigms, and imagine a different world. Right, right. Yeah. And I, I, I totally agree with that, starting from that end place and then reverse engineering yes, exactly. to me it, it, it is so important because we need to know where we're going and then, and then how, how do we get there. Um, but also without this um, sort of shame and blame along the way, which mm -hmm. again comes from we, when we tend to point our finger and say, you know, this is this is your fault. Mm. Um, and, and I really like that sort of because, um, again, I think that's the other piece that we're very good at doing is is labeling, um, la labeling people, la labeling <laughs> ourselves, you know, I label myself as a bad mom, bad wife, bad colleague, you know, and I had to work around that, that mindset. Um, but I think even um, just sort of understanding when we when we put a label on somebody, um, 
you know, the example Brenny Brown gives is, is like her daughter and my daughter's the same. They, they both, um, are messy, yeah. but they make messes because when you put somebody in that sort of label of you are messy, then you, you think, okay, this is how I'm designed to be. I, I'm not supposed to change. There's no growth opportunity for, for me here. And so I think that's the same when you, um, also accuse someone of, of being a racist, um, then the, the natural action is going to be, um, defense and, and, and shame versus providing that alternative vision, which is what is anti-racist behavior? Mm -hmm. Um, not, not the label, but the, what are the decisions that you make every day towards making a more equitable workplace, for example. Mm -hmm. So I think also that shift away from, um, you know, that shame and blame into, okay, the alternative behaviors. Cause even with behavior change, that works really well. Mm -hmm. If you think about trying to give up a bad behavior, that's much harder because you're focusing on the negative behavior. You're focusing on, oh, I'm so bad that I do this behavior versus taking up a new behavior. So um, mm. you could imagine it in terms of like trying to give up sugar versus taking up eating more fruit and vegetables. So once you take up eating more fruit and vegetables, one, you suddenly don't even think about sugar anymore, mm. but two, you're just focusing on this new positive behavior. And I think that's part of this. Um, it, it, it's not saying that the, there shouldn't be situations where, um, you know, the, there are, um, reparations and, and justice circles, but if we can focus on the new positive behaviors from a behavioral standpoint, um, we know that that's, that's much more effective. And I think it does take us out of this, um, you know, individual shame and blame place where, where we don't, we don't respond well and we don't do the things that, that are going to help shift the needle. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I love where this conversation is going because, um, you know, I think it paints the picture of where we are right now with some of these, so we're in the intention phase, right? I think as a country about some of the, the systems that we're experiencing and the fact that they are not fair or not equitable, need to change. There is a group of people who maybe think they don't need to change. And I think we're coming to this head of push and pull, which, you know, we're, we're literally feeling the friction of those two things. And, you know, I, I do think I agree with you, of course, around adding positive behaviors. Um, but, you know, there's also accountability um, to your point, which is, you know, at what point do you move from someone needs to make a decision around justice um, and to make a decision about a system that needs to change? Where do we need policy change to happen? Where do we need to hold people accountable who, you know, refuse to change? Right. Because that's a part of that reinforcement system that we talked about. So, um, Jacqueline, we've talked about a lot today. I want to kind of just summarize a few things. You know, one, I think your experience as a behavioral scientist, you've provided such fantastic perspective on the role of role modeling, on the interaction between systems building and rebuilding, um, and when it comes down to just kind of individual behaviors over time. And, you know, some of the, the myths that we experience when we talk about behavior change and this big Grand Canyon that you mentioned between intent and action, uh, you know, I know a lot of people 
might hire someone like you and I to do this work. But one of the things that I always reinforce is we need, I I believe we need to start instilling this in our actual skill set, you know, uh, from a, from a business perspective, from a leadership perspective, because this is work that a consultant or an HR person, or even a chief diversity officer, someone who's appointed to behavior change, um, in a certain way, isn't able to sustain unless it's built into the fabric of the organization. So I just, um, again, I love your, your mindset and how you're approaching this work. Where can we find you? So if people want to reach out, they're, you know, intrigued with the work that you're doing or want to work with you or um, bring you into their organization or team, how can they find you? Great. Thanks for that. And great summary too. <laughs> um, yeah. So probably the best place is, is my website, which is drjacklinker.com. And I have um, lots of free resources there. Um, I host my own podcast, Overcoming Working Mom Burnout. So you can get that there or or wherever podcasts are available. Um, My TEDx talk is there, which also focused on how do we um, prevent burnout from from this more sort of societal and structural way. And um, hopefully in 2023, I'm I'm trying to launch a um, new um, leadership development program for women leaders to lead with more confidence and um, credibility based on understanding how change occurs and how you can lead change, as I say, by by some of the role modeling, but some of the incentivization and, and other tools really coming from behavior change science. Um, and being applied to these these you know challenging situations of workplace burnout and and, and bias. Um, so yeah, all those things can be found on my website. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for um, committing your time and uh, brilliance with us today. Really appreciate you. Uh-huh.